It's 12th of June, 2022, and I'm seeking treatment for my DCOCD. Hello, Doctor. Help me, Rhonda. Hello, Paul. Hello. Come in. Take a seat. Take a seat. It's the 1st of February, 2018, and I'm seeking treatment for my DCOCD. Hello, Doctor. Harsh environment. Uh, uh, Paul? What? What are you? Paul, what are you doing? It's the 10th of November, 2020, and I'm seeking treatment for my DCOCD. Hello, Dr. Harpo Mafia. <sighs> Paul, I'm going to be charging you extra for this, you silly, silly man. OCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event and we're rating it and scoring it and discussing it and putting them in order and that sort of thing. And today we have reached uh, Doomsday Clock, um, which is amazing. So uh, I am joined today by Adam Crouch from Legion Outpost and also Michael Bailey from the Superman stuff that Michael does and everything else. Anyway, <laughs> welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. How y'all doing? Great. So, uh, yeah, so Doomsday Clock, I guess we've got to talk about that. So it started in November 2017 and went to November 2019. Um, it's only 12 issues, but it really does tie into what was established in Rebirth and what was confused in the button. Um, so it was all <laughs> all written by Jeff Johns uh, with art by Gary Frank. Uh, Amy Brockway Metcalf did the back page stuff. And we had colours by Brad Anderson, letters by Rob Lee, and it was all edited by Brian Cunningham. So, um, gentlemen, I'll just tell you briefly what it's about. So, um, it's basically the Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas, except the Grinch is Dr. Manhattan, and Christmas is the legacy of the DC Universe. And that's what the plot is. I like it. In one sentence or less, yes, that that, <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> Um, to give you more plot than that, basically some refugees from the Watchmen universe make it through to the DC universe in pursuit of Dr. Manhattan, who's already been uh, gone there at the end of Watchmen, and Dr. Manhattan has been interfering with things, and these refugees, uh, they want to get him back to fix everything that's going wrong in the Watchmen universe, which has basically collapsed into nuclear war in 1992, and they come to a version of the DC universe which is... Um, sort of an alternate version from 1992, because it's very established in what was happening in the 80s. And, yeah, they are, basically there's a lot of shenanigans and running around. It's incredibly complicated. And then it all wraps up with, uh, basically, Dr. Manhattan learning to be a, a nice superhero, uh, basically the way Superman is, and to care about people. And uh, everything gets put back into place, and Dr. Manhattan goes back to the Watchmen universe and cleans it up a bit. So... <laughs> but yeah, that, that's really just scratching the surface. So, Adam, what were the big deals of this story for you as far as the, the moments that you enjoyed the most, etc.? Yeah, so the big deals for me, I guess, uh, I actually really liked all the new characters, uh, meaning, I guess, the new Watchmen Universe characters. So we had Marinette and Mime, um, the new Rorschach. Uh, you know, I thought those felt very of a piece with, you know, the original work and felt like they fit into that universe the other things i kind of like the meta commentary right so um you know he's kind of talking about the effect of watchmen as a work on the dc universe and then looking at how by the time we got to the new 52 there was this idea that you know superman needs to be edgier michael you're the superman guy so maybe i'm speaking out of turn on that but you know that was kind of what i got out of that um, and then also, I just really like the emphasis on uh, the JSA and the Legion, because obviously I do a Legion podcast, but I like that he kind of highlighted the importance of those two things and their importance to Superman, which I don't know if he's always really been inspired by the JSA that much or anything, but uh, I kind of liked having those three important pieces where if you you mess with one, you know, it'll have a big effect on the DC Universe. And Michael, what about you? it's um, kind of similar uh, to Adam. I, I think some of the big deals in this are the new characters. You have uh, Marinette and Mime, who were very much, I think, inspired by Punch and Julie, which were villains that originated in the Charlton universe. 
they first appeared in Captain Adam, if I'm remembering my who's who entry <laughs> correctly, because that's the tome, right? Yeah. And the new Rorschach, which was a kind of a mystery at first, but it was really funny. I don't know. I don't know if I'm smart or Jeff Johns is obvious because <laughs> I figured out who it was like in like the first or second issue. I'm like, it's got to be this guy. Uh, but it was kind of interesting watching him kind of develop. But yeah, it was really, it, it's funny because this, this story started as your typical Jeff Johns thing where, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do the sprawling story. It has ramifications for every, everywhere. The entire point of it is we need to get back to a more traditional DC universe, but we're never going to do that because where would I get plots from? And uh, you know, like this this dark Superman theory and stuff like that. And then it turns into a meta commentary, uh, as Adam uh, said, on basically everything comes from Superman. Superman's really important, and we really got to get back to Superman. Uh, it, they spent like an entire issue, basically, um, which when it came out, I kind of went insane for a little while, like digging through it uh, and like, you know, looking for the hidden meanings uh, but yeah, it's it's basically the DC universe works better when you have the JSA on one end, the Legion on the other, and Superman as the kind of the thing holding up the center. And I, I, I really kind of appreciated it for that, but um I'll get more into that in the impact and legacy part of it. <laughs> Yeah. Now, when this was coming out, they actually, you know, they were doing so much, uh, I don't know, promotion and launching, and they had basically had a press junket for it where people could, uh, the, the press could come in and go into a room and leave all their, you know, video cameras and, you know, phones at the door and read the issue in this room while being watched. Um, and it was such a big deal, and it, it uh, sort of launched with so much fanfare, and then that sort of all just drifted away quietly as it was later and later like it took two years to come out um which i don't begrudge it because the art is you know worth the wait but as far as uh the pacing of it all and the plotting and everything it, it really feels like jeff john started going i'm going to do watchman the way watchman was done and i'm going to you know mimic alan moore's uh writing and you know let's just take a minute to appreciate how much of uh, strip mining of alan moore stuff uh, jeff johns has done over the years with the mm -hmm. blackest night and uh, the rainbow lanterns and all this sort of stuff it's all three jokers three jokers <laughs> yeah there's a lot of alan moore appreciation but uh yeah it starts off as like let's do the watchman again and i think there's points where it feels like he goes, oh, oh, I, I've forgotten about this plot. I better push this one, or you know, let's. Oh, I've only got three issues left. I better speed this up suddenly. <laughs> and it, it's really weirdly paced. But um, I, I do find, uh, all right, let's the big deals, things I like. The art is amazing. Like there's some really beautiful moments. There's some memorable visuals. Like there's like the bat signal in the sky, and then you just see these eyes light up in it, and uh, the the owl ship flies out of the bat signal's face. You know that sort of thing is you know that's you know clever and spectacular and memorable and very impressive. Yeah, but I I don't think it's as clever as Watchmen. I don't think it's as great, and it is really uh, I don't know. There's, there's so much you can say about this. Like, uh, this is an interesting one. I've been looking forward to this just because there's so many observations you can make about it. Like, um, a bald guy who interferes with the legacy of the DC Universe. That could be Dan DiDio. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, now, uh, now, next time I read this, uh, Dr. Manhattan's uh, voice is going to be Dan DiDio. <laughs> I'm standing on Mars. <laughs> I have a photograph in my hand. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's kind of a hard one. So, yeah, I think the new characters are a really big deal, and I really do like um, the mime and marionette, and they're, they're, you know, they're interesting, and it, it's very telling that um, Jeff Johns basically keeps them in the DC universe at the end, like he tucks them away, because, uh, you know, I know Jeff Johns' uh, habits now, and it's like, create a character... Uh, make it really important in other media. <laughs> so, <I think laughs> that, 
I, I can see that that's going to come up again later and things like that. But what what do you think is going to come out of this in the future, Michael? What, like, where do you think what seeds have been laid that will you know germinate in the DC universe of the future? Problem is, is that when this was conceived, and it's funny because I remember at the beginning of Rebirth back in two thousand six. Uh, two thousand six? Do you mean twenty sixteen? Twenty sixteen. Sorry. Two roads emerged in a yellow wood, uh, and one of it was metal, and one of it was Doomsday Clock. And I had a choice to make, because I wasn't going to do both. And I went with Doomsday Clock, and I'm not sure that was the better choice, uh, in terms of just it coming out on time. So I think what this project was supposed to do, and what it actually did, are two very different things. Because I think this was supposed to kind of solidify the ethos of rebirth and now it just comes out as a standalone thing because there really isn't theoretically you could say the legion launched out of this but i think the legion had already launched yeah correct (laughs) when the last issue came out uh, i think it was also supposed to kind of maybe make superman you know solidify like the pre-flashpoint superman merging his background more with the 50 new 52 superman but by the time this finished up like his secret identity was about to be revealed so it's like one of those things where i i i don't think anything that was supposed to be launched out of this actually ended up getting launched like there was no um, there was no, like, okay, Doomsday Clock 12 came out, now all these new number ones start rolling out. We've been promised a JSA series. I, again, it's it's almost like if I, if I went and tracked down all the press releases, I could do that page out of the original Watchmen, where it's 2016 and DC has announced that the JSA is coming back. It's 2018, and J- DC has just announced that the JSA is coming back. It's 2020, and DC has just announced that the JSA is coming back. And they did that Stargirl thing, but that was a special last year, and we're still waiting. Uh, well, which, may, may, maybe I can come up with a podcast waiting for the JSA. <laughs> <laughs> According to uh, Brian Hitch recently, uh, they had the book all lined up, and then DC said no. So it's unfortunate. I think that's insane. But with. Infinite Frontier, which was the big, huge launch, and now Dark Crisis, which is what happens when you Mad Libs your event title. Uh, like, none of this matters <laughs> at all. It's the sad part of it. Uh, so there's no launches <laughs> that I can think of. There's no Marinette and Mime series. No. Uh, and yes, you you are kind of right. The Marinette Mime, you know, you use Marinette Mime and not Punch and Julie because I get money off of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Jeff Johns tends to set up his dominoes too early, or you know, when he's you know got other focuses, so his dominoes get set up and then they they take forever to get knocked over. That sometimes you just lose the entire plot of what he was trying to do. And this reminds me uh, very similarly of what happened with. Um, when he was uh, when Brad Meltzer was writing the the Justice League and the Legion came into that, um, they had that Justice League Zero issue, which basically had all these glimpses of the future, and then they had that JSA Justice League crossover, and all of that sort of merged into some of the Legion hanging out in the past in New Krypton, and you know, there's that sort of muddle where there's there's no flow because so much other stuff goes under the bridge in the meantime. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you look at that, look at his Aquaman run. He sets up this Seven Seas thing, and it comes out, like, a couple years later and not even written by him. Um, it, it's one of the frustrating things about Jeff Johns is that when he was writing full-time for DC, it was kind of more easy to... It was easier to deal with because you knew eventually it was going to come out. He would have, like, the big previews at the end of his first issues, of the stuff you're going to see in mm. the future. And eventually you would see it. But the problem is, and uh, I think it was Andy Leyland of Hey Kids Comics and Palace of Glittering Delights that has 
commented that he never lives in the moment. He's always living for the next story. And it kind of affects how his stories are told because you're never fully invested in what's going on because you're so focused on what's coming down the pike. But when that thing comes down the pike, by the end of it, you're immediately getting moved into the next thing. I mean, we, we, you had that, um, you know, the, the big thing for, for example, the, um, Sinestro Corps war, like right at the end, you had the big thing setting up black as night. And when there's a, when he is consistently writing a title, that's kind of cool because you're like, oh, so that's the big next thing. Whereas here it's like, oh, you're not really writing for DC anymore because this was supposed to be like the last thing he ever wrote for DC, which is I think the second or third time he's done a last thing he's going to write for DC. (laughs) Uh, and, And that's not on him necessarily. He works for a company and he has other functions within that company. It's not like it's the early 2000s anymore where he's one of the, the, the brain trust of the DC universe. But it's just it's just frustrating because now, now this story isn't like a... It's an event because God knows they set it up with things that had... I think the only thing I can really compare it to is like the button... And that uh, Lonely Place story that went in, into the Detective Comics and the whole Mr. Oz thing over in the Superman books and all that. All of that was supposed to tie into this. And it ties into it about as well as Countdown ties into Final Crisis. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> but fair. It is fair. I think. <laughs> I think, yeah, to go back to the domino analogy, sometimes, yeah, he sets him up too early, and then when he knocks him down, you're just like, oh, how did that knock, How did that domino hit that domino? Um, and it skipped all these other dominoes. Yeah. I mean, it's a very complicated story for quite a simple message. I mean, I, when I stumbled on, hey, this is the Grinch, it was, you know, it was a real revelation because there's, there's so much extra stuff in there, like, uh, you know, the asylum where... Um, you know the other Rorschach is waiting, and there's the the moth guy, and all that sort of stuff. It's like none of this has anything to do with anything, but it's like, okay, what did Watchmen do? It created these characters, make them really well rounded, and explored their you know their their past and origins, and so we'll do that. And it's yeah, and I don't know for all the aping of Watchmen, I think that it just doesn't have the the vitality and the originality and all that sort of stuff. Like, a lot of the back matter in this seemed to be, I guess, very unsubtle as far as, you know, these are reports from labs about things that are going on. And sticking it in 1987, sort of... Like, it reminds me of the DC Universe coming out of um, Crisis as far as you've got, uh, you know, Suicide Squad starting up, Captain Adam, Blue Beetle. All these books are sort of, you know, the books of the time. And Firestorm... And there's such an emphasis on that. Uh, the Doom Patrol sort of gets morphed into the Doomed in Russia. So he he's really playing with that era of the DC Universe and extrapolating it forward to a 1992 of the DC Universe that we never got. And one of the things to, to canonise is really bizarre is that uh, Professor Martin Stein is a villain, <laughs> which is a really odd choice. Uh, did you have any thoughts about that, Adam? Yeah, um... That's pretty bizarre, like you say, um, especially for someone like Shaq, you know, a big (laughs) Firestorm fan. Um, You know, a lot of times I find developments like that kind of interesting. Um, Just kind of, you know, I'm also the type that likes some collateral damage or death in these events. But at the same time, when I take a step back and I'm like, do I really want that? Or, you know, the people that really like that character don't want that. Um, the one thing I would say I would be okay with it if this book had any impact is if, you know, Firestorm became a major player again, I would love that, um, which I thought, you know, maybe that's what he was going towards. If he was going to stick around and do other things, maybe we get Jeff Johns Firestorm and uh, maybe Firestorm would have this, you know, kind of renaissance, but uh, nothing came out of that. Yeah, it's kind of like Jeff Johns was uh, the first MasterChef winner. But by the time he's, you know, preparing this meal, we also have Scott Snyder and Tom King and Brian Michael Bendis all, you know, having one MasterChef in the DC Universe at this point. 
and all of them yeah. are you know competing on a menu to to tell stories and uh, yeah so uh, I mean I th- there's a lot of um, stepping on each other's toes as far as the story they're trying to tell because you've got uh, Heroes in Crisis which really says what's the deal with Wally and the fact that he was meant to be everyone's you know the saviour coming out of rebirth and he's not and then you've got uh, Metal and Death Metal which are both you know the DC Universe has been reset um, which is exactly what happens at the end of this one where you know the DC Universe has been reset and we're going to have something called 5G soon (laughs) so you know there's just uh, these competing you know agendas and they don't you know they don't work well together yeah it's 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 very odd any final thoughts before we get into scoring michael no uh, you say master chef and now i want like an iron chef where <laughs> different different writers come up and they have like the secret ingredient is the revelation of a of a deep dark past um <laughs> the problem with doing that is it kind of sullies retroactively certain characters. Like if you're going to reveal that Martin Stein did Firestorm on purpose, and you have this whole Superman, uh, the Superman theory thing going on, and then that doesn't go anywhere else in the DC universe that I've seen. And again, I'm not as in touch with it as it used to be, but it, it, it's kind of funny. It's just like, we're going to do all these things with these characters for Rebirth, and then you see Rebirth scratched out, and then you see 5G, and then you got to see 5G scratched out, because ultimately they didn't do that. Uh, they did it in kind of an altered form with uh, Infinite uh, Frontier, but Infinite Frontier's kind of almost over <laughs> when you really think about it, uh, because now we're going to Dark Crisis, so it's just... It's just kind of depressing that if you look at the the DC universe as going into a circle, right? Like, you know, and everything comes back to itself. Since about 2005, it's one of those circles that now starts going more inward and inward and inward and inward. And this is where we're at the point where we're almost back at the center. And what happens then? Uh, and I guess what happens then is that they come up with a new initiative, but it seems like initiatives are coming fast and furious uh, over the past couple of decades. So that whole Firestorm thing, it's just like, I, I get what you're doing, but is this really the character to do that with? Did you want to take one of the few characters that, to be fair, they changed everything with the new 52, but then they kind of shifted kind of things back more towards the traditional, and now that we're there, we revealed that Professor Martin Stein was a jerk all along. I mean, I, I just don't get the end game with that. Uh, and like Adam said, if, if if that launched into a brand new Firestorm series where uh, Ronnie and Martin Stein were trying to figure things out and you spent like the first couple of arcs dealing with that and dealing with the betrayal and all that, that would be great, but nothing. It's like crickets at this point, so... Yeah, I, I'm still kind of mad about it uh, in a weird way. Yeah. I, I mean, the editorial interference at DC at the time, which is, I think, one of the things that this series could possibly be about. I mean, it really is, you know, it's too obviously meta to not be completely, you know, partly intentional. But I remember that, uh, I mean, talking to James Robinson and Nicholas Scott, they were both working on a Justice Society book that was going to be set in the 40s, which was showing, you know, the early days of the team, sort of a retelling of the All-Star Squadron. Um, and mm. then, then they they really got mucked around a lot, and that morphed into Earth 2. And they were going to launch a new Justice Society as part of New 52. And then there was this, uh, you know, this edict to focus on the current stuff and not the part. I mean, that, I think they you know, did their best work to make uh, lemonade out of the lemons they were handed. And Earth 2 was, you know, quite a dramatic start to that run. But, um, you know, it wasn't what uh, James Robinson wanted to do, and it's not his strengths to do that. So, yeah, it's it's all very weird. But uh, anyway, we might have a promo now and uh, come back for uh, some scoring. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I run the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network. 
The Fortress is a collection of podcasts that I either host or co-host, all housed in a single place to make things easier on me. The shows in the network include From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I host with Jeffrey Taylor, and is all about the Superman books published between 1986 and 2006. The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show, which is a Batman podcast that is about Batman stories hardly anyone talks about that I host with Andrew Leyland. Views from the Long Box, my comics-centric podcast that has been online since 2007. And the newest show on the network, The Superman and Lois Tapes, which I host with Allison and Bethany and is all about the CW series Superman and Lois. The network can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com which also houses one of the web's largest repositories of information on the death and return of Superman from 1992 and 1993. You can subscribe to any of these programs through Apple Podcasts slash iTunes or through your favorite podcatcher, either a la carte or through the master feed, which has all of the episodes of all of the shows. The Fortress and its shows are also on Spotify, if you're into that sort of thing. The Fortress of Bailey Tude Podcasting Network. Doing my best to relieve boredom since 2007. And now it's the part of the show where we score this event. And the way we do that is four categories. We have eventiness, like how spectacular and tied into the DC Universe is it. Uh, we score it on writing, we score it on the art and the covers, and we score it on impact and legacy uh, as one category. Um, and because we are three of us, um, Michael and Adam will get to do full scores, and then I'll have my score, and that will give us a total out of 100, which will go on our ladder of event scores and give it a order that fits in somewhere with everything else. Anyway, so, Adam, what do you think of the eventiness of this one? I would say it's pretty low. Um, not a lot of tie-ins, not a lot of effect on anything, like we said. I, I'll probably go with a, a 5. Or actually, no, I made that a four, just because, yeah, there's Whoa. nothing really eventy about it to me, mostly because of how it's been treated since it came out. Yeah, okay. And, Michael, what about you? Yeah, I, I give it, uh, I'm only going to give it a five because they at least tried to have lead-ins to it with, like, the button storyline and the lonely place and all that, and... You know, try. You know, like it's almost like it's coming. We promise, but ultimately, it did not have any. There were no Doomsday Clock tie-ins uh, to it, which they really couldn't do without this thing came out. So yeah, solid five. Uh, only because they tried, but they failed to stick the landing. I'm gonna be slightly more generous. I'm gonna give it a six on eventiness, just because I I think um, the just the anticipation of it and what it was doing was, you know, putting the actual DC Universe interacting with the Watchmen characters and not just, you know, uh, a random badge appearing in the Batcave, but, you know, some physical interaction. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I that was very exciting and a really big deal. So I'm going to go six, even though a lot of it doesn't make sense. Like, I still don't know why um, What's-A-Face was destroyed, the, the one who was big in uh, the end of Flashpoint. Pandora, like... Uh, she got completely mm, yeah. blown to bits in Rebirth, and I don't know why. But, but I think that's a metatextual commentary of taking the new 52 <laughs> as a concept yeah. out back and putting two in the head execution style. It's like, you're done. All right, um, Michael, do you want to have a, a say on the, write, on the writing for this one? I'm going to give it an eight, uh, and that's only because of the Superman thing at the end. Otherwise, I would have given it a seven, because as much as, you know, it's, it's not a bad read, especially when you get to the back end of it. I really think, you know, like, I know this is an obvious statement, but everything makes sense now. I see kind of what you were doing, but the fact that it devoted an entire issue about how important Superman is to the DC universe uh, gives it an extra point for me, uh, just on a personal level. Johns has ticks in his writing, and we got just about every single one of them. We got the references uh, to the past with uh, the Justice Society stuff. Uh, we get the treating a project as the launching point to getting back to a more traditional DC Universe thing going on. Uh, we get the I want to write sequels to all of the big gun <laughs> DC stories 
like I'm I'm waiting for his V for Vendetta too. Uh, just so he can uh, start ticking off more of the Alan Moore. I mean, he's just like, this guy's written a, a sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths, Watchmen, and Killing Joke. I mean, he's hit he hit almost like the Holy Trinity of the 80s for DC. <laughs> so that, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, he, I like his characterization. You know, yeah, he's, he spent an entire issue kind of Dealing with Rorschach and his in his uh, um, relationship with Moth with with the Moth character Byron from uh, from Watchmen, which was kind of nice, uh, but again, like most of the heavy lifting of that and, and the characterization of Byron is done in the supplementary stuff, and you've got this Carver Coleman character who's supposed to be important, but he's only important because he was. Dr. Manhattan's anchor uh, uh, in the in the DC universe. Um, and you have to give him credit for basically saying this isn't a multiverse, it's a metaverse. And it all depends on when the goalpost of Superman coming in, uh, that kind of dictates how the, the DC universe goes. And, you know, having... Pa Kent kind of inspired by the Justice Society that goes back to Man of Steel, uh, which was, you know, at the end of that, Jonathan's just like, you know, there were the mystery men back in the day. And that's why we're going to give you a costume. Uh, also, I, I th <laughs> sorry, I, I just I was just thinking of how much. Pa Kent, Ma Kent coming back doesn't really matter in the long, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things anymore. <laughs> and I don't know why that made me laugh. Probably because I'm hallucinating at this point. But no, I, I think I think this is a very Jeff Johns project, complete with villains that you understand but are still completely despicable and, and murderous characters. But it's okay because they have a tragic backstory that explains everything. So, um, but yeah, eight. Is what I give it. Uh, I'll go next on this one. I, I am so torn on this because some of this is, you know, quite a lot of fun, and then some of it is just so cringe and on the nose. Like when uh, Byron, wearing his moth wings, um, sees the the building burning and just walks back towards it. It's like, are you kidding? You know, moth to the flame. <laughs> yes, we get it. We get it. Okay, very subtle. And you know, it's it's just stuff like that. It's so ridiculous. But I mean, there's other things where you know some of the some of the nooks and crannies we explore are really interesting, and you know, I, I yeah, I mean, I kind of was impressed the way the Saturn Girl stuff was you know brought back, and you know she's in Arkham Asylum as a Jane Doe, and what she's doing there, and it, it kind of makes sense, it kind of doesn't. Um, I like the structure of this story, despite it being a train wreck of a structure. Like I feel like. Around issue eight, he goes, "Oh, oh no, I'm running out of room. I better make everyone go to Mars suddenly." And then you've got this, this entirely weird, you know, everyone in the DC universe suddenly goes to Mars to fight uh, Doctor Manhattan, and you know, you go, what's Dead Man and the Demon and you know Blue Devil doing on Mars <laughs> fighting, you know, Doctor Manhattan? You know, it's like, it just happens because it's convenient, not because it makes any sense. Um, so. I kind of love it and hate it at the same time. And but I mean I have to give it merit in the fact that it it ends strong. Like the last issue is one of the best issues um of anything at, you know that I'd read at the time and to have it come at the end of an event where events are usually they all just run out of puff and then they just end. And this one was like, oh wow, the last issue was really really good, which is a complete change when you know I think back of all the events we've been covering for quite some time they don't end fantastically and this one does so yeah it's uh, i don't know I, i'll split the difference and give it a seven i think and adam your turn yeah um i actually thought i was going to be on an island by myself with this one because i actually you know would give it an eight as well i actually really enjoyed it um i think when you're looking at it there's kind of uh a bit of a disjoint from the beginning like the first seven issues really focus on the Watchmen characters a lot. And then the last five issues kind of bring in the DC stuff more um, where we have the incident with Firestorm and 
there's also this big plot with Black Adam. Um, but yeah, uh, I did really find myself enjoying it. I like the concepts he introduced, like, uh, you know, the importance of Superman. I liked the metaverse. Uh, the metaverse is something that I felt like I always kind of felt was the case, I guess, just because I'm like, if we wait long enough, these things that we're not liking right now are going to go away and they'll have a return to form. Um, one thing that did bother me <clears throat> is there's a part where Saturn Girl is saving the JSA character Johnny Thunder. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she says, don't worry about these guys. They're going to die in a few days of a drug overdose. And I'm like, she doesn't have future powers. I know she's from the future, but well, that doesn't mean she would know when these random attackers would die. So <laughs> there were so, just little things like that that stood out to me, like um, felt a little sloppy. Another thing that I'm not sure if I should really complain about or not, because I'm not sure how you guys interpreted it, but throughout the story, he kind of lays the breadcrumbs that maybe Dr. Manhattan is disguised as a hero of the DC universe, which seems like an odd breadcrumb to lay if you're not going to follow up on it. Um, but then I'm not sure if he did because is, was he disguised as Mr. Freeze? Oh, I, di- I didn't pick that up. Um, I think he was Hank Hall the entire time. <laughs> So That's, there was, that is a cheap joke, and I apologize for it. <laughs> so there was this part um, where we see Rorschach in the asylum, and Mister uh, Mister Freeze just keeps staring at him, and you mm. know that that by itself doesn't seem that important. But then they go and they meet up with the villains at um, in the train station or train tracks, and Mister Freeze is there. And I'm just wondering if we're supposed to put those pieces together. But there's this weird thing where every time we cut back to Rorschach, he just finds Mr. Freeze staring at him. And I'm wondering, did Jeff Johns make (laughs) Dr. Manhattan disguised as Mr. Freeze because he looks like him? Or am I just, like, putting breadcrumbs together that don't belong together? Uh, That could have been a red herring, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I like that, actually, as an idea, because it's obvious in certain things in terms of the writing, where something changed. I don't think Saturn Girl was supposed to disappear like she was supposed to. Uh, yeah. Because the Legion we get at the end of this is the more current Legion, and that Imra is not that Imra. So I don't know if, if they were going to try to bring back like their traditional Levitt's Legion, uh, which, again, is them going back to the well of Lightning Saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I, I kind of like the idea that maybe he was disguised as Mr. Freeze, and then halfway through, it's just like, okay, that doesn't even work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, well, the the thing you were saying about the Legion also doesn't make a lot of sense, because this version of the Legion that Venice has been writing, it doesn't have any ties to Superman. Uh, it, it's all tied to John Kent. So where he, at the end, says, like, oh, hey, it's the Legion, like, my friends. Um, it just doesn't really actually work because of the way they were handling it. But I would have much rather seen what Jeff Johns had in store for the Legion personally, but we'll see. Yeah, it sort of ties back to the pre-New Krypton Legion story. So, hmm. All right, so art and covers. I, I think the art is really, really good. I, Yeah, I, I, it's hard to criticise Gary Frank's art because there were delays. Like, I'm sure it wasn't meant to end the way it did, as we've pointed out, but um, I can't find any fault with the art, so I'll give the art a nine. And Adam, your turn to talk about the art. Okay, yeah, shame on me, actually, for not mentioning this sooner, especially when we talked about the things that worked, because the art is, you know, spectacular. Um, I'd probably say it's the art of his career. Um, Gary Frank... Earlier in his career, every now and then there'd be an occasional panel, and you know this happens when you're an artist and you're working, uh, trying to get the stuff out. Where he'd have this kind of weird face that would bother me a little bit, but um, you know I think this art is spectacular. Um, Ten for me. I'm gonna give it a nine because one, he apparently put his Superman the movie trading card set away. Uh, for art reference to Superman, which I appreciated. He still kind of had like a Chris Reeve look, but it was more what his Superman kind of eventually settled on. 
we get to see him draw the entire DC universe. And when I say the entire DC universe, I'm talking like obscure Russian characters and, and characters from other countries. And, you know, he did that huge two page splash at the end with all of the JSA and the Legion characters. Uh, props to him also for sticking mainly with a nine panel grid. Uh, you know, that current artists don't normally work in that milieu. Uh, you know, it's just, I think it was Greg Rucka years ago in a word balloon interview that said you would have to put an, a gun to a current artist's head to get them to do 14 panels on a page. But he, he does the nine panels and when he goes wide, it's very appropriate. I mean, the one issue opens with him drawing all of the characters of the DC universe heading to Mars and it, and they're all grouped together by, you know, character family. And I was just like, this is really impressive. The reason why I'm giving it a 9 and not a 10 is he, I hate his Jimmy Olsen so much. It looks weird to me. Like, there's something wrong with that kid's face. And that will always take me out of the story a little bit. So <laughs> I'll give it a solid 9. <laughs> that costs 10% of the score. <laughs> <laughs> I feel strongly about this. <laughs> All right. So, Adam, Impact and Legacy, where are you going with this? Yeah, I think this was the part that was the letdown for me. Um, we talked a little about DC Universe Rebirth, where that felt like a kind of a promise, and that, that story kind of really blew me away. I was really happy with that. Um, and, you know, I, I think that he was doing those, solidifying that promise in the story, but it's just unfortunate the change in direction of the DC universe in general, where uh, we didn't really slow down long enough to, you know, say, hey, Doomsday Clock was important. So I think, unfortunately, for me, it's going to be a five. Ooh, I was going to give it a four, mainly because of just the editorial whims of the DC universe. By the time it ended, nothing, nothing matters. Uh, it's <laughs> Suddenly, it's a uh, it's well, a Metallica. No, everything matters is what they say, but yeah, it makes it feel like nothing matters. Yeah, well, I mean, if you take this story in and of itself, like like if you if you read this as like a sequel to Watchmen, and like put maybe maybe put the before Watchmen stuff in the middle of it, which some of that was actually quite good, uh, despite it being kind of weird. Like like why are we doing this? Uh, but if you do this as like a sequel to Watchmen. On its own, which is how DC kind of frames it. Like when you see ads for like graphic novels, they always put this in there. It's just like, read this and you'll experience the DC universe, which, you know, at least is honest advertising. But as a sequel to that, it works as what I think it was intended to be, which was a final definitive statement on what the DC universe is, what it's supposed to represent, what Superman represents to the DC universe. You know, it, it, it just completely fails because one, it took so long to come out. And I know complaining about a book coming out late years after it ends is kind of useless because at this point, it, you know, I'm, it's, I'm like Bill Murray towards the end of meatballs. It just doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, at this point, who cares that there was a year of stories between the penultimate chapter and final chapter of Last Sun for Superman? Because now it exists as a trade paperback on its own. And that continuity doesn't matter anyway. So it's just like, it's like we're going to find real things to get upset about. But the fact that, like, all of it is, like, this great setup to this bold new DC universe kind of leading into 5G... And then 5G didn't happen. It's just like now I'm it's almost like at the end, Johns was predicting that nothing would matter because he kept saying how like this is going to happen in 2025 and this is going to happen in 2045. And it's just like all of this stuff's going to happen. But don't worry about it because it's not really because Dan DiDio is never going to let any of this go. Um, I, 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 I don't think he wrote that exactly. But um, yeah, I'm going to give it a four because the only thing that really kind of quote unquote has spilled out of this is we've gotten a glimpse of the JSA, which again, we got one special, a glimpse of the Legion, which already happened. And he brought back 
Martha and Jonathan being alive, which is shocking that he left Jonathan alive. Because uh, I felt like Jonathan had a target on his back the moment Jeff Johns took over Superman as a going concern. <laughs> but even that doesn't matter now because I think I, I can't say this for sure because I stopped reading the Superman titles when they revealed the identity. But I think the only thing we really saw of the Kents was the fact that they mentioned that the Kent farm now has a cloaking device over it to protect them because he revealed his identity. And I'm like, you sure you thought that through, Clark? Because, you know, potentially, you know, telling who you are and everybody can Zillow the Kent farm. Maybe this is a bad idea. But, yeah, I'm, it's a four. Uh, and, and I'm going to stop because I'm getting angrier as I go. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Impact and Legacy. Yeah, I find this is like the biggest Elseworlds event there is that happens on an Elseworld on its own because you know the DC universe that it happens in isn't the current DC universe um, what happens is all sort of uh, undone in a way that you're, you're told everything is different but you're not really there's nothing happening straight away to go this is different now and this will be evident next week in the books you know it's not like the end of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths or Legends or anything like that where you know, you, you've got a, anything launching or any major status quo change that wasn't already happening in another book, like uh, Death Metal or Metal or things like that. Um, yeah, and yeah, so it, it's so it's weird. It's very weird. So I'm going to give it a four myself. Um, I I think it's one of the kindest depictions of Putin we're going to see for a long time. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, he is just like a, a Russian guy who's leading the country and trying to do what's best for his people. So, you know, uh, history's not been kind to that view. Um, so, yeah, we've got all our scores now. So I'm just going to add them all up. So, Adam, it looks like you gave it a total of 27. And Michael, you gave it a total of 26. And I also gave it a total of 26, and but mine halves, because I'm the semi-OCD. So let's add all those together, and we get 66, which uh, I'm going to look at the table now. And that means that it's equal with uh, The Dark Side War and Day of Judgment. Now, uh, I think it's a better story than both of those. <laughs> <laughs> this is Which where is our kind of ironic because they're all Jeff Johns stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's consistent. <laughs> yeah. So and it uh, it falls just below New Krypton, which is also a Jeff Johns story. So yeah, it's interesting. It, it I mean, as we've noted, it falls down on impact and legacy because it really was marginalised by the time it finished, um, which I'm sure was not the case when it was started. So yeah. Well, uh, that's some interesting thoughts about that one um okay so if you want to see this on the ladder which i'm talking about that's all at over at waitingfordoom.com um if you click on the dcocd heading at the top you'll see links straight to the ladder and you can see it in episode order or rank order and you'll be able to see this one in the order there and you can click on a link to listen to this ep again if you feel so inclined I'm just saying that because it's possible. So, I'm going to do some feedback now, guys, if you're happy to bear with that. Sure, absolutely. So, people were a bit excited to have uh, DCOCD return with the last step. So, we got a comment from Jeff R. And he said, great to see you back at it. Death Metal was ridiculous, but somehow fun at the same time, as long as you didn't think about it much. Uh, keep an eye on when Doomsday Clock is supposed to take place. Time to reconcile it with a year in the future after the button with Alfred is alive and Superman's identity is secret is challenging at least. Uh, yeah, we did find that it isn't... It, I don't know when it takes place. I mean, I feel like it's contemporary 1992 just because the emphasis on 1980s stuff in it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, yeah. Is Alfred alive? Is he dead? I mean, is he in both states at once? You know, we have to look in the box. Schrodinger's um, Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for that comment. Uh, we also had Tim Price, and he said, Hooray, DCOCD returns. So glad to have you back for an event that I have never read. But this was a great listen, and now I feel like I don't have to read it since you all read it for me. Great job, team. 
Um, wait, did you say recommend reading for yourself? Oh, cheese it. Onto the list it goes. Anyway, great to hear Laurel on other shows. She's just the best, right? And thanks for the great episode, Paul and Mike. Keep the therapy coming. Yeah, Laurel did a fantastic job of summarising uh, Death Metal for us. Uh, and I was very glad that she just volunteered to do it. I was didn't even have to ask her. <laughs> and we also got a comment from Mo Walker, and he said, Delighted that DCOCD has returned. Is this new era being called DCOCD Future State or DCOCD The Infinite Frontier? Um, I'm not sure what we're going to call it, but uh, it's just a few episodes before we have to go away again because we're catching up too fast. Um, but uh, Mo also said, Laurel delivered an easy-to-digest summation of Death Metal. Not read the series since it came out, and there was a certain aspect of the main story I'd forgotten. So, thanks for that, Mo. So, if you want to send us any feedback, you can do it on uh, Twitter at uh, DCOCDcast, and you can do it to uh, waitingfordoom at gmail.com if you want to send us an email, or on the website waitingfordoom.com. So, gentlemen, uh, Adam, what are you up to with your podcasts and stuff? Uh, you know... <clears throat> We usually just kind of do whatever, you know, we feel like doing. Uh, Dave, my co-host, is a big fan of the Carrie Bates stuff, but I try to drag him out of the 70s every now and then, so, <laughs> yeah. So that's on Legion Outpost. And what was your other, you did a Judge Dredd podcast as well? You we do have a Judge Dredd podcast. Our dynamic is kind of flipped where uh, Legion Outpost, I'm a big Legion fan, and he's learning Judge Dredd. He's a big Dredd fan, and I'm learning. <laughs> it's uh, called which, Dredd or Dead. Which uh, period are you covering on the Dredd, Dredd one? We also kind of just jump around there. He's a big fan of, uh, you know, the 80s stuff, so we do a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, very classic. And Michael, what, sh what shows do you want to pitch? Plug. Uh, as far as when this comes out, Superman and Lois Tapes is nearing the end of its second season, which is really weird that I have a show that actually does, like, official seasons. Um, I'm not used to that. Uh, but we're, we're cover uh, Allison and Bethany and I talk about whatever the latest episode of Superman and Lois. Uh, From Crisis to Crisis is uh, continually planning a comeback. Uh, we have come back from hiatuses more than I think any other podcast on the Internet. Uh, Overlook Dark Knight, which I do with Andy Leyland, uh, where we talk about some <laughs> mostly overlooked Batman stories, uh, sometimes... Uh, we do stories that have been talked to death about, but that usually because of something happening in the real world uh, forces us to. Uh, so we've still got new episodes of that. And I've got a couple, it all comes back to Superman's in the pipeline. Wow. Uh, to, uh, to bring out uh, one that has been recorded and a couple that I'm working the scripts on because I, I kind of like to get that going again. Uh, but no, it's all over on www.fortressofbailey2.com. Thank you, gentlemen, for your help with this one today. Um, yeah, uh, next time on the show, I think we're going to be tackling the Joker War, which, um, yeah, it's, it symbolizes the James Tinian uh, era of the DC Universe uh, Batman stuff. But, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, and uh, keep on eventing. Whoa, whoa, whoa.